And all God's people said. Amen. Amen. Thank you, Casey. Appreciate that so very much today. And good morning to you all. Been looking forward to this time to be with you, and it is finally here. And already seen some familiar faces that uh, I um, have known before. And I'm just grateful for the opportunity uh, from uh, Brother Don asking me to come. And we found out we lived at Ada about the same time and didn't know each other. So I'm really looking forward to reconnecting and uh, being with him. And it's so good to see Terry and Kay as well. I love them. And Terry's doing such a great job as the director of missions here. Just so grateful for him. And uh, when Don told me Casey was going to be leading the music, that excited me even more. I've been in his church uh, several times at Cheyenne, and that's a great congregation and a, a great church there. And so you're, you're going to be blessed by the music. The preaching, I don't know about, but the music, I know for sure uh, you're going to uh, be blessed by that today. Well, if you would, let's turn to uh, Psalm 85 today. I want to go ahead and get started and... Um, I titled the message today, We Need Revival for Our Survival. So that's what I, uh, I want to talk about today. And just grateful to be in God's house. I was driving over and seeing what a, man, what a beautiful day it was. And um, just felt like in my spirit saying, this is the day which the Lord has made. We will rejoice and be glad in it. And I know the, uh, the first day of a revival or the first service is always, you know, oh, I don't know how to put it. You don't really know me. I don't really know you. You're looking at me thinking, can this guy preach? And I'm looking at you thinking, would these people know good preaching if they heard it? <laughs> and, uh, of course, I know the answer to that is yes, because I've... I've watched Brother Don's message. In fact, I watched the message that he brought last Sunday morning online, and man, it was a great word. And so I know that you guys get fed from the Lord every week, but uh, we're going to get through this one, and then I'm looking forward to getting to know you, because I don't want to just come and preach. I want to get to know you guys and get some fellowship time in uh, with us. So Psalm 85, I thought that would be a good one for us to look at, because this psalm is a prayer for the Lord to send revival. Psalm 85 and verse 1. O Lord, you showed favor to your land. You restored the captivity of Jacob. You forgave the iniquity of your people. You covered all their sins. You withdrew all your fury. You turned away from your burning anger. Restore us, O God, of our salvation. And cause your indignation toward us to cease. Will you be angry with us forever? Will you prolong your anger to all generations? Will you not yourself revive us again? So that your people may rejoice in you. Show us your loving kindness, O Lord. And grant us your salvation. This is a prayer for revival. I've been praying for revival and thinking about this. I know you all have as well. And I'm I'm praying that not only revival would come to your heart, I pray it'll come to my heart. I pray that God would revive me this week and just speak to me about my own life and my own heart. And uh, I was thinking about revival and the importance of it. 
And uh, some people have different ideas of revival, right? I read a story about three churches in a small town, the Baptist, the Methodist, and the Presbyterian. They all got together to decide to sponsor a community-wide revival. So they had the revival after it had concluded. The three uh, preachers of those churches met for coffee and wanted to discuss the results with one another. And the Methodist pastor said to the other two, he said, Man, the revival worked out great for us. We gained four families last week. And the Baptist preacher said, Well, we did even better than that. We gained six new families. And the uh, Presbyterian pastor said, well, we did even better than that. We got rid of our ten biggest troublemakers. (laughs) So I guess to some people that's their idea of revival, but um, I think maybe there's a better way. There's a better way to have revival. And the psalmist shows us how that we need to do that. He looks back to how God had brought his people forward or out of captivity and had forgiven their sin. And now he's looking forward to the time when God is going to send revival. And you and I look at this world in which we live. And we look in the landscape that is around us. And I don't know about you guys. I just feel like that something far-reaching is about to happen. You know, you just kind of feel it. You just sense it. And uh, we're not very certain about what's going to take place. But it does seem like we're at the cusp of some uh, great crisis that could be happening. In fact, many in the know believe that we're at a crossroads, that we really are, and that things could go one of several ways. And I'll just mention three very quickly. Uh, One thing that could happen is that maybe Jesus will come again. Amen. Now, that'd be the best scenario, and the signs seem to point that way. I believe Jesus could return uh, very soon. Maybe it won't be that, though. Maybe it will be that we will experience God's judgment. I sure hope not. The people in this psalm had experienced that, and in fact, we're still concerned about it. Uh, You see in uh, verse 4, he says, Restore us, O God of our salvation, and cause your indignation toward us to cease. Will you be angry with us forever? Will you prolong your anger to all generations? These people had experienced the hand of God's judgment. They'd been in captivity for 70 years. And now God had finally released them from that. Maybe we'll experience God's judgment. I hope not. But it's really interesting to compare the conditions of our land today with those of the great Greek Empire or those of the great Roman Empire just before their decline. In fact, here's some of the things that were going on in Greece and Rome before they declined. There was a departure from religious beliefs. There was an obsession with a desire for recreation. There was high inflation. There was widespread infidelity in marriage and a sharp rise in homosexuality. In those cultures, there was a constant clamor for democracy. Not only that, there was a decline in childbirth so that the population did not replace itself. 
Uh, we've been facing that in America ever since 1976. The last five decades has seen the uh, birth rate plummet in our own land. It's amazing. Those very things going on in Greece and Rome now are the very things that we see happening in our culture today. Maybe 2023 will be our date with destiny. We don't know. There is a third option as well, though. If Jesus doesn't come back soon or if we don't experience God's judgment, here's another option. Maybe we're about to have a great revival. I know your heart was warmed as mine recently as we saw the revival break out there at the Asbury campus in Kentucky that went on for weeks. The house of God filled 24 hours a day. People praying and being saved and all kinds of great things. Uh, That spread to some other campuses. And um, that's what we certainly pray for. We need revival in our nation. We need revival in our hearts. We need revival in our homes. We need revival in our churches. It's the greatest need that we have. Jerry Vines put it like this, quote, We need a genuine, old-fashioned, heaven-sent, sin-killing, Christ-exalting revival. That's what I pray for this week. God has given revival in the past, and God can do it again. And I want to look at that this morning as we sort of kick off these times together. What are some of the principles that will bring revival? Well, I think there's some things in this psalm that if we can come to understand, will prepare our hearts and get us ready, not only for the next three days, but hopefully even way beyond that. You know, when you have a revival, you hope that the seeds that are planted in those four days will see a harvest weeks and months to come. And I've seen that in churches, and I've I've been in meetings where uh, God did some things, but the greatest things happened after the revival was over. The seed was planted, and people began to come to Christ and and rededicate their lives over the weeks and the months. So I want to look at four very quick things today. Number one, the source of revival. That's the first thing I want us to look at, the source of revival. And we see that in the first two verses, right? O Lord, you showed favor to your land. You restored the captivity of Jacob. You forgave the iniquity of your people. You covered all their sin. Notice to whom this psalm is addressed. God. Six times he mentions God. God is the source of... Of revival. And if God doesn't send it, it is not going to come. And that's a challenge for us because you and I live in a programmed society, right? If we want anything, we just push a button. Everything is instant and easy. And sometimes we think we can push a button and have revival, but that's not going to work. Only God can send revival. You remember the vision that Ezekiel had in Ezekiel 37 where he looked out over this vast land and there were uh, all of these bones. And God asked Ezekiel, son of man, can these bones live? And you know what Ezekiel said? God, only you know. Only you know. Only a sovereign God can give new life. 
Only the Lord can send real revival. It's not something you can put on the calendar and then have revival. But I I like what G. Campbell Morgan said. Listen to this. And this is what I think you all have been doing the last several weeks and what we want to see God do today. Listen to what G. Campbell Morgan wrote. He said, revival cannot be organized, but we can set our sails to catch the wind from heaven when God chooses to blow upon his people once again. And that's, that's revival, right? We can't organize it. We can't program it. But here's what First Baptist Arapahoe can do. We can set our sail to catch the wind of God if he decides to blow this way in these coming days. So the psalmist begins by pointing out the source of revival, and that is God. And we pray God will send it. Second thing I want you to see here, the subjects of revival. Not only the source of revival, which is God, but the subjects of revival. Notice what he says in verse 4. Restore us. Verse 6. Will you not yourself revive us again, that your people may rejoice in you? You see, God's people are the subjects of revival, right? You, you and me. Revival is not revivalism. And by that I mean, you know, where you have the set time and you promote it and you um, have the crowds and all of that kind of stuff. Um, revival is not revivalism. Revival is not a religious emotional high. Revival is not the magnetism of a preacher. Revival is not even a large number of conversions. Now, now I, I would say that conversions are the fruit of revival, certainly. But it's not necessarily revival. Robert Coleman said this about revival. Listen to what he says. If it's not revivalism or an emotional high or the magnetism of personalities or a large number of conversions, what is it? Listen to what he says. Revival is that strange and sovereign work of God in which he visits his people, restoring, reanimating, and releasing them into the fullness of his blessing. A pretty good definition of revival from Robert Coleman. You and I are the subjects of revival. Real revival comes when the Christians get right with God, when we are moved upon by the Holy Spirit of God. You see, God wants to do a work in your heart, and God wants to do a work in my heart. He wants to cleanse us and make us usable vessels. And there's, you know, you look around the church landscape today, and it just looks so much like the the church of Laodicea. You remember in Revelation 3, Jesus pointed out uh, letters. He gave letters to seven churches. And the last one was Laodicea. Remember, that was the, the lukewarm church. Jesus said, you know, you're not hot, you're not cold, you're just kind of lukewarm. And I'm going to spit you out of my mouth. It just seems like that spirit of uh, Laodicea is upon us. And I'll tell you, revival will never come to a lukewarm, satisfied church. 
Revival will never come to a generation of churchgoers who are satisfied with a Sunday morning religion without a meaningful relationship with Jesus Christ. Many years ago, Gypsy Smith said this. He was a pretty famous revivalist in his day. And someone asked Gypsy Smith how to start a revival. And I want to read you what he said. He said, here's how you start a revival. Go home, lock yourself in your room, kneel down in the middle of the floor, draw a chalk mark all around yourself, and ask God to start the revival inside that chalk mark. And he said, when God has answered your prayer, the revival will be on. Pretty good picture of, a, of a revival. And that's what we need in our day, how desperately we need revival. Well, God's the source of revival. You and I are the subjects of revival. Thirdly, what about the steps to revival? How do we get there? How do we get there as individuals? How do we get there as a church family? What are the steps? Well, I want to take you to a very familiar verse. In fact, you probably have this verse memorized. 2 Chronicles 7.14. 2 Chronicles 7.14. Now, these are the chapters in 2 Chronicles where the people have built the temple. And now they are dedicating that temple. And within uh, this dedication, we find this tremendous word in 2 Chronicles 7.14. And this is God speaking. This is what God told Solomon. And my people who are called by my name, humble themselves and pray and seek my face and turn from their wicked ways. Then I will hear from heaven and will forgive their sin and will heal their land. And I'll bet a lot of us have that memorized. That verse contains what I see as the steps to revival. And you probably talked about this as you prepared yourself uh, in revival. What are the steps? Well, first of all, he says to humble yourself. Humble yourself. These people were too proud. You look at Israel back in that day, and they had a very prideful attitude. We're God's chosen people. Nothing's going to ever happen to us bad. We're his people. And their sins had taken them so far away that God did do something about it. We've got to humble ourselves. We're too proud. You know, I was reading about King Uzziah in uh, 2 Chronicles 26, uh, reading about that the other day. And... Um, it says Uzziah was 16 years old when he became the king, and he reigned 52 years in Jerusalem. And in verse 5, it says, He continued to seek God in the days of Zechariah, who had understanding through the vision of God. And as long as Uzziah sought the Lord, God prospered him. But you know what? It went to his head. And the king developed pride. By the time you get down to the middle of the chapter, it says this, that Uzziah's fame spread afar, for he was marvelously helped until he was strong. And when he became strong, his heart was so proud that he acted corruptly, and he was unfaithful to the Lord his God. 
For he entered the temple of the Lord to burn incense on the altar of incense. Now, no one was to do that except the priest. But the king was so full of himself, he thought, I'm going to go in the temple and I'm going to do that. And he did. And you know what happened? God struck him with leprosy. And it says he was a leper to the day of his death. Folks, there's a warning there for us. He was marvelously helped until he became strong. And then his heart was proud. Well, we Americans, we're, we're a pretty proud bunch, right? I mean, most Americans can strut sitting down, right? But when it comes to God, we need to be kneeling in the dust. We need to humble ourselves before God. And I think the reason some Christians do not experience revival is because they think they are sufficient unto themselves. You know, God, I'll show up on Sunday morning. I might even pray during the week if I get in an emergency. But otherwise, I'll let you know if I need you. Revival's not going to come with that kind of an attitude. We've got to humble ourselves before God. And notice what he says to do next. Pray. Pray. And I know y'all been doing that. How long has it been since this nation really got on its face before God and prayed and sought the Lord? How long has it been since you really prayed to God for revival in your heart, in your home, in your church, in your nation? You know, there's never been a revival without prayer. And all of the great revivals came. A lot of them started as prayer meetings. People just getting before the Lord and praying together. I love what Corey Ten Boom said. She said, when we go to God in prayer, the devil knows we go to fetch strength against him. And therefore, he opposes us all he can. And I think that is so very true. I I can just... uh, See the devil doing everything that he can do to keep you and I from praying. Because prayer is a step to revival, to seek him and to come before him. We humble ourselves. We pray. What does Second Chronicles 7.14 say next? To seek God's face. Now I think that's significant. Revival praying is seeking God's face, not seeking his hand. Isn't a lot of our praying seeking God's hand? You know, God, I want you to bless me, and I want this, and I want that, and I want you to do this. It's seeking the hand of God. Gimme, gimme, gimme. Revival praying seeks the face of God. Humble yourself and pray and seek God's face. The prophets tell us to do that. Hosea in Hosea 10.12 said that it's time to seek the Lord. Amos 5.6 says, seek the Lord that you may live. Are you seeking the Lord? Or are you too busy? You know, we may have to give up some of our amusements in order to uh, see God move and to uh, walk in His ways and His paths and his plans. Seeking God's face. And then there's a fourth thing. Remember we're talking about the steps to revival. Humble yourself and pray and seek God's face. What was that last one? And turn from your wicked ways. Repentance, exactly. 
Turn from your wicked ways. That is repentance. And revival involves repentance. Repentance means to change direction. Repentance means that we are moving this way. And when we repent, we turn. And we begin to go in this direction. Uh, Paul talked about that in the Thessalonian church. How they had turned from idols to God. To seek the true and living God. And so we've got to turn. We've got to repent. Uh, to, to try to have revival without turning from our sin. It's like trying to drive a car without any gas in it. You don't want to do that, right? I heard about a lady one time. She, she ran out of gas over in Dell City. She was on I-40. And I, I heard this from the police officer. He saw her over by the, the road there. So he pulled over, thought she might need help. He got out and uh, she said, something's wrong with my car. And so he said, well, let me get in and take a look at it. So the officer got in behind the wheel and turned the key. And he said, ma'am, I found the problem. He said, you're out of gas. And she looked at the policeman and said, well, it hurt to drive at home that way. <laughs> so we repent. We got we to gotta get some gas in the tank, right? And the way you do that is by humbling yourself and praying and seeking God's face and repenting, turning from our wicked ways. Coming back to, to the scripture. I read about a pilot who was having trouble uh, bringing his plane to land. And from the control tower, he was given instructions. But the pilot objected. He said, if I do that, I I can see there's a pole there. And the control tower answer came back. You take care of the instructions. We'll take care of the obstructions. You know, as you and I obey the instructions in the Bible, the obstructions will be taken care of. That's what will happen. We'll repent. God will take care of the rest of it. And that brings me to the last thing. I want to wrap up here in just a moment. The signs of revival. Remember, we're talking about um, how we need revival for our survival. And we've talked about how that God is the source of revival. God's people are the subjects of revival. We see these steps to revival. Second Chronicles 7.14 shows us the way, right? Humble ourselves, pray, seek God's face, repent, turn from our wicked ways. Now the signs. You say, okay, if we do that, how do we know revival comes? Well, there's some signs of revival. I give you several ways that you know revival is coming. Here's the first one. Being sensitive to sin. Being sensitive to sin is one of the signs of revival. Sin that that we used to never see in revival time looms great before our eyes. The Holy Spirit begins to speak and deal with our hearts about attitudes or habits or things of that nature that need to be gotten rid of. One of the signs of revival is that we we become very sensitive to sin and we see it as God sees it. You know, there's a lot of folks that for them, Christianity just consists of Sunday morning. 
And then Monday, Monday through Saturday, they do their thing the rest of the week. Folks, that's not the Christian life. I read about a teacher who uh, asked her children in Sunday school, you know, what background that their parents had, church home or denomination. She said, you know, maybe a Baptist or Lutheran or Presbyterian or Methodist, maybe Seventh-day Adventist. And one little girl said, you know, teacher, I'm not for sure, but I think my family are six-day atheists. Think about that for a moment. You know, some folks, they show up on Sunday and then they're six-day atheists. The rest of the week, Monday through Saturday, don't open their Bible to read it, don't pray, don't talk about Jesus. Listen, one of the signs of revival is conviction. Conviction. God's Holy Spirit begins to grab our hearts about things that are hindering our lives or maybe hindering our church's life. Let me give you another sign of revival. Not only do we become sensitive to our sin, but but relationships are made right. That's another sign of revival, that relationships are made right. Well, I'll never forget as a young pastor, this was many years ago, I had preached the Sunday morning sermon, and I went to the back and I shook people's hands as they walked out, and, and one of my deacons came by, his name was Oliver, and he he shook my hand, and he, he looked me right in the eye, Casey, and he said, Russell, he said, I just want you to know I have a lot of resentment in my heart towards you, but I'm working on it. And he went right on out the church door. I mean, that, that hit me like a ton of bricks. And so the next day, you know, I, I prayed, and I prayed, and I went to visit him. Uh, you know, he, he was a friend. We had shared lunch together, and I was just shocked by that. So I went over to his house, and he was there, let, brought me in, and we had a wonderful conversation. You know, just dealt with some things that needed to be dealt with. And, and um, you know, I learned something then. The Lord showed me, look, not only do we need to be right with God, we need to be right with each other. And boy, that's a challenge in church sometimes, isn't it? Uh, every church has got its knuckleheads, right? But God wants us to show the world the difference that Jesus makes and the love that he has put in our hearts. Sometimes relationships need to be made right, and we just need to go to someone and say, Hey, look, there's something between us. Can we talk about this? Can we work it out? You know, Oliver and I prayed together, and things were better after that. And, and you might be thinking, but you know, Russell, what, what if I've done all I can do to make it work? And it still hasn't worked. Well, I got a verse for you, all right? You can take comfort in this verse. Romans chapter 12 and verse 18. I'm so glad this is in the Bible. Paul says in Romans 12, 18, if possible, so far as it depends on you, be at peace with all men. So, yeah, I know there are some people in this world who simply will not let you be at peace with them. You just give them to God. If possible, as depends on you, you do your part and you let God take care of them. Uh, Some people simply will not let you be at peace. You give them to God. 
Let me tell you another sign of revival that you know it's coming. Not only is there this sensitivity to sin where we are convicted and deal with it, and not only are relationships made right, there's a new wave of rejoicing. Rejoicing follows on the heels of revival. You say, how do you know that? Well, go back to the psalm. Look in the text. Verse 4, he says, restore us. Verse 6, he says, revive us. And what's he say right after that? That your people may rejoice. That your people may rejoice in you. Restore, revive, rejoice. When revival comes, there is a new rejoicing. God's people are happy in Jesus. Man, they smile. And they got hearts full of rejoicing and praise. You see that over in the book of Nehemiah where they're having this great revival. And and, um, Nehemiah brings Ezra in to teach the law of God. And as he begins to teach the law of God, people are convicted over their sin. And they begin to weep. But then he wants them to be joyous. And I love the verse in Nehemiah 8.10 where he says, Don't weep, this day's holy to the Lord, for the joy of the Lord is your strength. That's a sign of revival, this new wave of rejoicing. Man, you see it in church. You see it in the singing. You see it in the praying. You see it in the spirit of the church, the atmosphere of the church, outside of the church. You see it in godly living, right? People have heard enough sermons. They just want to see the life lived. They want to see you and I living out the life of Jesus Christ. There's a new wave of rejoicing. Another sign is that there is an urgency to share Jesus with others. You know revivals come. when It's just in your heart that you want to, you want to invite people to church. Or you want to tell them your testimony of when you were saved. Or you, um, you want to try to lead them to Jesus. There is this urgency to share Christ with others. Revival changes things. Past revivals in America brought about all kinds of social and political reform. The abolition of slavery came in part as the result of revival. The removal of child labor The YMCA, the Salvation Army, the Sunday School, all of these came out of revival. There becomes this urgency to share with others. The last sign of revival. I'm sure sure there are many more. I'm just sharing these few with you. Uh, We're sensitive to sin. We try to make relationships right. There's this new wave of rejoicing. There's this urgency to share Christ. The last one is that we surrender to the Lordship of Jesus. Surrender to the Lordship of Jesus. When when revival comes, we become more God conscious. We become more aware of the presence of Jesus. I'm telling you, if you don't just take Jesus as Savior, you take him as Lord. You take him as Lord. And this stuff where, well, I took him as Savior, but he's not Lord, you, may, you need to look at your heart and see whether you really know Jesus or not. Because he's either Lord of all or he's not Lord at all. And so we surrender to the Lordship of Christ and realize that he is with us. And we seek to live that out, not only to make him Savior, but to surrender to him as Lord. 
And to me, to surrender to Jesus as Lord would be like, um, it'd be like um, I'm, I'm in the car behind the wheel and Jesus is in the back seat, right? To surrender to Jesus as Lord means this. I get out from behind the wheel, I get in the back seat, and I say, Jesus, you get behind the wheel. And he's in charge, and I am not. And that's what it means to surrender to Jesus as Lord. We will know that revival has come, not just in these days, but in the weeks and months to come. When we see this conviction of sin and, and people getting right and, and a, new, a new wave of rejoicing, I'll tell you, there's nothing like being a Christian. Nothing like walking with Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior. And he will bring joy to your life even when, when things are falling apart. There's a joy. You see, happiness depends on circumstances. Joy depends on the Lord. So, this is how I see the week. Um, I'm just looking forward to what God's going to do. And I want him to work in my heart and speak to me. I read about this little girl in uh, Sunday school whose uh, Sunday school teacher always closed the class session with the doxology. Everybody would stand and they would sing the doxology. And uh, they did that for several weeks. And one day... uh, This little girl was saying it to her mother, but she didn't get it quite right. This is what she said. Praise God from whom all blessings flow. Praise him all creatures. Here we go. (laughs) And that's where I am. Here we go. Here we go. Lord, will you not revive us again that your people may rejoice in you. Let's bow our heads together. Heads and hearts bowed. In just a moment, we're going to uh, have a time of invitation. Casey's going to lead us. I just want us to look at our hearts today and just ask the Lord, Lord, are we seeking you or are we seeking this world? Are we trying to find our joy in this fleeting world and things that are here today and gone tomorrow? Or is Jesus Christ number one? If you're here today and you don't know him as your Lord and Savior, that's the whole purpose of this revival. This church is having revival so that you would have the opportunity to be saved. If you're here and you don't know him, we're going to stand and sing in a moment. Brother Don will be here at the front. Just come and take him by the hand and tell him, Brother Don, I need Jesus. I need Jesus in my life. Friend, listen. There are over 7 billion people on this planet, and yet God knows you. He knows you by name, and he sent his son into this world to live a sinless life, to die on a cross, to pay for our sins. Three days later, God raised him from the dead. And Jesus is your only hope. He's the only way to heaven. Peter said, neither is there salvation in any other. There is no other name under heaven given among men whereby we must be saved. Friend, come to him today. This this invitation, receive him as your Lord and Savior and turn from your sin. Christian, you're here today. Would you recommit your life to the Lord? If you're not where you need to be, would you recommit your life to him? Just come tell Brother Don, you know, I... I'm going to recommit my life. I'm getting out from behind the wheel. 
And I'm moving Jesus from the back seat to the wheel. That's what it means to walk with him and him be Lord. Maybe you're here today and you need to join the church. Maybe your membership's in another church and in another town and you don't even live there. God's leading you to be a part of this family of faith. Come. Father, we give you this invitation. We're so looking forward to these days of revival. But Father, we know it begins with us. And I pray you'll help us today to do whatever spiritual business that we need to do with you. Some need to be saved. Some need to recommit their lives. Father, there may be some Christians that don't really have a a decision to make, but they may want to just come and kneel at these front pews and pray for revival. Pray for this church. Pray for this city. Pray for your fresh touch in us. Father, you really are our only hope in these days. And so we pray you will send the revival we need. Get our hearts ready. In your name we pray. Amen. Let's stand, church family. Casey will lead us. Brother Don's here at the front. You come. You come. Just.